This is week two. Turn to two scriptures, our main scriptures for this week, which are Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. We're going to be going six weeks through this series, Red Letter Living. Now I'm going to stumble over that every time I say it. Um, we're studying Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. Matthew 5 at the beginning, of course, being the great sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and then the, you know, going into Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not. He says, but I say, it's, it's the... It's the link that should be there between our actions and our motives. There should be a link between we do things because inside or we don't do things because in our heart. There should be a link there. It shouldn't just be an outward actions. It should be uh, our motives and our actions tied together. And that's what we're talking about, the red letter, red letter living. I do want to tell you, I am awful excited about Easter is coming up right around the corner. We're going to be speaking on the resurrection. Amazing. The whole, uh, that there was three crosses. There was, one was redeemed, one rejected, and one was resurrected. So we're going to talk about that. And then right after Easter, we're going to jump into our next series, which is called The Birds and the Bees, which your parents never told you. Whoa, Hello. Every guy says, I'll be there. No. So excited about what's coming up. But this red letter living is amazing because we're actually taking the words, like I said, of Jesus. And not just do because Jesus told me to do it, but because it's a heart transformation and you can't help it. It just comes out. Um, and the two main truths that we learned last week, and if you haven't listened to it, get it, podcast, online, um, on our website, you can listen online or you can listen on the podcast. Or if you just want a CD, they still make those back there, don't they, Dominic? Do they still make Okay, yes, I'm getting the thumbs up back there. So there's still CDs. Um, eight tracks, though, and cassettes. No, sorry. The two truths that, main truths that we learned last week, the first one when we read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16, we learned that we are commanded, we are called to be salt and light. And I proposed last week that it was, it's not just salt or light, but it's salt and light is what the scripture says. And salt, when you eat too much of it, it makes you thirsty, right? We've all said that we're like guzzling down the water after dinner and we're like, ah, oh, that was salty. That's how we are to be. We are to be so full of Christ that we're like salt to them and it helps them thirst for more of God through you. And then that scripture goes on to say, and then let your works, your outside, the things that you do shine bright in front of people like a light so that they'll see your works and glorify God in heaven. So they'll see the things you do and say there's something different about that person and it's like they beam God because it comes from the inside, outside. And so the question was asked in that passage, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And that's what this red letter living is trying to teach us, how to become salty again on the inside so that we can't help but shine Christ on the outside. 
And the second truth that we learned, which was also the title of last week's message, was motives matter. Motives matter. In Proverbs 16.2, the Amplified Version states, All the ways of a man are clean and innocent in his eyes. He may see nothing wrong with his actions, but the Lord weighs and examines the motives and the intents of the heart and knows the truth. See, our actions aren't the only thing that are judged in God's eyes. Our motives and our intentions. So just because you didn't run that person off the road that was driving so slow in front of you, if you were thinking, I'd like to run that person off the road, you've already done that. Motives matter to God. The fundamental issue prompting this dilemma, dilemma, motive versus action, is that there is no one-to-one correspondence between a given action and the motive of its agent. The same action by one person or another can either be censored or defended depending on one's motive. See, the action can be the same, but the motives can be completely different. So that's why the Lord has to judge the motives of our heart. If he only judged the actions, one person could get away with something that another person could be sincerely doing from their heart and trying to do right. Um, And I don't want to re-preach all of week one, but it's as simple as remember when Jesus sat by the offering plate and he was watching people put their offering in? The rich people would walk in and put a nickel in the plate. But when the widow walked in and she put the nickel in the plate, there was something going on in her heart. Her intention, her motive was honoring God. I need this nickel to survive this next week from what my physical eyes see, but I'll honor God and I'll put that nickel in that plate. See, the, both of them gave a nickel. But one's heart was a lot different than the other one's heart. So that's why God has to weigh the heart. Motives matter. And the sin of omission is just as bad. James 4.17 says, If anyone knows the good they're supposed to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. Again, there's the motive of the heart. So red letter living for week one was summed up in be the salt and the light to the world that you're commanded to be because motives matter. God does know your heart. And that should scare some of us. All right, so this week, let's jump right into it. So that was seven minutes. Shave that off my time. That was last week. No? Okay. This week, we'll continue on. We're going to open up Matthew 5 again. Today's message is titled, Murder in the first. Matthew chapter, I guess I should have turned there, huh? Matthew chapter 5. We're going to jump into the red letter. Hello. Here it is. It's the one that's marked up the most right now. Starting at verse 21. Matthew 5, starting at verse 21. And here's the red letters. So Jesus is speaking this. 
You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, remember I taught you this a few weeks ago? Therefore is stating, because this is the fact, therefore, this is what needs to be done. All right? So circle those things in your, in your Bible, see? Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember, and if, if you've got your Bible, circle that word, remember, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. Again, this is Jesus saying this. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. In verse 21 and 22, the message version says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you, must, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister. Again, I don't know why he didn't say brother. And you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. I mean, how many of us said that when we was growing up? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Lie! Straight from the pits of hell. That's a lie. Because a bruise goes away. And if you're lucky enough to have battle wounds after, though, you do point at them and say, hey, remember that one? Hey, remember it? You know where I got this scar? We've all done that. Come on. All right? But it doesn't hurt anymore. Scars don't hurt anymore. But words can continue to hurt forever. Words can kill. A friend of mine did a study, a word study on the word hate and after all this time I don't know how long she spent on this because she she did have a problem with anger she didn't you know she was hanging out with me and that just wasn't good but anyway so she did a word study on that word hate and finally came back to church and said after all these studies do you know the concise definition of the word hate means murder I'm like, so she says, every time you say the word hate, you're saying murder. I hate you. I want to murder you. I want to murder you. I want, I know. It's like, <gasps> we did a, a experiment, we'll say, in my house, I don't know, a few months ago. And we wanted to help each other be aware whenever we said the word hate. 
with the fact that, remember, when you say hate, that means you want to murder somebody. Boy, you just don't realize how often you say that. I mean, yeah, Tyler's going, yeah. I hate this. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I hate it when people do this. Oh, I hate. That's alarming to think that that's the same as saying, I want that person murdered when I hate. Last week, I shared that the difference between first-degree murder and second-degree murder is all in the intention. If they can improve intent, it moves to first-degree murder, which means that's punishable by death. Where without intent could be deemed an accident, and it could be clemency. It could be, you know, they could walk away from it. It's all in the intent. A fundamental principle in civil law states the act itself does not make one a criminal unless done with criminal intent. This week's message, titled Murder in the First, is a confession of our heart. Last week, we talked about the heart matters. Motives matter. Now this week, we want to talk about that we need to confess those intentions, those confessions of our heart. Jesus points out in the scripture that this act is brother against brother. As Christians, we are not suggested to love our brother. We are commanded to love our brother. 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech only, but with actions and in truth. Again, there's actions and in truth. means with what you do and what's in your heart, with your motives, with your intentions. John 15, 12 through 14, Jesus said, My command, not my suggestion, my command is this, that you must love each other as. That's another word you need to circle in your Bible. Whenever it says the word as, it's comparing two things, and you need to see what those two things are. Jesus says, love as I have loved you. What? I have to love my brother as Christ loved me. When did he love me? When I was yet a sinner, when I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That's not loving somebody when they're loving. That's loving someone when they're spitting in your face. That's loving someone when they don't reciprocate that love. When they don't deserve that love. When they haven't earned that love. That's how we're to love each other. We are commanded to love as Christ, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends. Here's another word you always circle, if. If. Jesus says, you are my friends if. If you do what I command. John, 1 John 4.20 if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love a God whom he has not seen. And one of those things that's listed in the Bible that will not, one of those people that will not enter the kingdom of heaven is a liar. There's the sexual immoral, the murderer. You know, he lists all these things and he throws in a liar. 
throws in the fearful too, but that's a message for another time that won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Four points to prove that we, four points to prove murder in the first. We're going to look at that scripture we just read. Four points I want to pull out. The first one is he said, your brother. Your brother. Anyone who hates your brother, his brother. We are all God's children. Everyone. I'm not talking about just us in this room. I'm talking about we are all the world. It's all God's children. We quickly want to point our finger at the person that wrongs us and demand judgment quickly on that person. But to God, that person is no less his child than you are. Does he approve of some of our actions? No. Does he approve of wickedness? No. Evil? No. Murder? No. Obviously, we just read that. He don't even like hate. He says hate is the same as murder. I mean, think about it, mom, dad. When you've got more than one child, do you enjoy it when they don't get along? <laughs> Aaron's like, oh, no. I preached it over and over and over again to my kids, over and over and over again. This is where love should be so unconditional in our family that you can make multi-mistakes and it does not shift that love at all. You have to not just get along, but love each other. We got to have each other's backs. There's got to be a love. But your children in here, God's children, you know, Christians, is not all. That murderer out there is still his child. No less than you are his child. No more than you are his child. I, I, I mean, I'm, you know, quoted again, that movie that we just saw a couple weeks ago, The Shack. I thought that was so clear, that depiction that they put of that one father. They put him up on the judgment seat. His father, here's your son, here's your daughter. And wisdom, ask him, choose which one will be damned to hell. He says, well, wait a minute, they're both my children. I'm not going to say that. And wisdom says, well, this one defies you, won't even speak to you, is being disrespectful to you. This other one slips out, sneaks around behind your back and breaks your rules. One of them must be damned to hell. Which one you choose? He's like, but they're my children. And so he stood up and he said, I'll go in their place. And I sat there in that movie theater going, wow. Wow. It's quick for us to point a finger when somebody wrongs us and says, judgment on that person now. I want judgment on that person. But to God, he's saying, it's still my child. My patience doesn't say I'm putting up with. My patience is saying, please, I'm waiting for that child to make the decision to serve me and give their heart to me. His patience, his long-suffering isn't a putting up with. It's waiting, please. He don't want anyone to go to hell. He wants all to come to repentance. They're your brothers. When somebody wrongs you, you need to look with fresh eyes that that is God's child. And brothers and sisters will bicker and they will fight, but there should be a love that cements unconditional between each other that says, I don't like the action that you did, but I 
It doesn't affect the love I have for you. You understand that you can, I mean, the old adage is, love the sinner, hate the sin. I think we've gotten away from that. We want to stand up on our judgment seats and point judgment, judgment, judgment. Look what they did, look what they did. And it's harder the more wicked the act is. Right? Or when it's done against your children, <laughs> your family, or yourself. It's, they're all still, they're all our brothers, they're all our sisters, they're all God's children. 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Number two, second point. I, did you catch it this time? I mean, I tried to stress it when I was reading that when you're at the altar... Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. See, I think most time our mind twists that. And we remember that we have something against our brother. But the scripture plainly says you remember that your brother has something against you. You see... I believe, again, it's hypothesis, it's just my assumption, is that he didn't say if you're at the altar and you have something against your brother, he didn't say that. That should be simple. As a matter of fact, most of the time, if you've got something against your brother, you'll never come to the altar. Because so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. You won't even come to the altar. But if somebody else has something against you, you can be like, well, that's their problem, and I'll go to the altar. And he says, wait a minute. If you're at the altar and you remember, and let me just, I got to read, I came across this Oswald Chambers, he says it best. So let me just read this. Oswald Chambers says, this verse says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, it is not saying if you search and find something because of your unbalanced sensitivity that you have something against your brother. No. It says, if you remember. In other words, if something is brought to your conscience mind by the Spirit of God, first be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. He goes on to say, first be reconciled to your brother. Our Lord's directive is simple. First, first be reconciled. He says, in effect, go back the way you came, the way indicated to you by the conviction given to you at the altar. Have an attitude in your mind and soul toward the person who has something against you that makes reconciliation as natural as breathing. Jesus does not mention the other person. He says for you to go. It is not a matter of your rights. Well, he's the one that wronged me. Well, she's the one that said it. It's the true mark of the saint is that he can waive his own rights and obey the Lord. And then Oswald Chambers goes on to say, and then, and then come offer your gift. 
The process of reconciliation is clearly marked. First, we have the heroic spirit of self-sacrifice. Then the sudden restraint by the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Then we are stopped at the point of our conviction. Stop, put your gift down. This is then followed by obedience to the word of God, which builds an attitude or a state of mind that places no blame on the one with whom you have been wronged. And finally, there is the glad, simple, unhindered offering of your gift to God. That's good. If you're at the altar and the Holy Spirit reminds you somebody else has something against you, leave your gift. Walk away. And I like that he went into and explained, don't sit there and try to figure out who was wrong and who was right. Just be reconciled. Number three, settle matters quickly. Quickly. Pastor Denny made a point in his message a couple weeks ago called the prison of offense. And if you haven't heard that one yet, you've got to get it. Really good. He pointed out, notice that the first, at first in the scripture, we, he was called your brother. But then when we get down to this part where it says settle matters quickly with your adversary. Because what happens in your mind? Okay, let me just talk to women for a minute. Women, what happens in your mind if things aren't resolved or reconciled quickly? We build this huge story. I mean, it's a huge story. I mean, I've heard it over the 20-some years being in ministry that I've actually had people leave the church because the pastor didn't shake their hand. They walked right by me. Did you see that pastor walked right by me? I know uh, he doesn't, you know, she doesn't. And then we go home and, well, oh, you know, they must know about this or they must know about that or they, you know, so they don't want me there. They must not want me there. Fine, I'll go somewhere else. Or so-and-so did this. Well, what did they do? Well, I saw the way they looked at me. Or your husband actually forgot to bring you a card on Valentine's Day. Or worse yet, sweetest day. Because you know, the smaller the holiday, the bigger the gift. So that you can, then wife will know you love them. They don't have to ask for it. I remind, I circle it on the calendar. I even got so bad. I, I mean, my birthday present, look, it didn't Brian do good with my birthday. I picked it out. I went online and I said, Brian, look what you got me for my birthday. I suffered too many years when we was first married, waiting for him to give me the perfect gift that I had already built in my mind. I knew what, and when he brought me something else, it was like, oh, he doesn't love me. Settle matters quickly. Otherwise, I don't know about you men, but women, we build this elaborate, you know, castle in our mind of offense. And the longer it waits, the bigger the walls get and the harder it is to tear it down. If you settle matters quickly, you know, I had, I actually was one of those people, now I'm really confessing, that 
I worked with a certain pastor who was not a very sociable individual. And being on his staff, we even joked that we were going to make him wear every Sunday a t-shirt that on the back says, uh, like a disclaimer, please forgive me if I walk by you without shaking, my, without shaking your hand. I love you. I want you here. You're the you know, apple of my eye. You know, this big disclaimer. Because he wasn't a very personable person. When I first started attending that church, I didn't know that. That he was a very, you know, A-type, getting things done and going here and there. And I took offense quite a bit to him not talking to me after. But when I went to him and looked for his hand and looked to shake it, then I got to meet the person. I didn't just sit back and go, oh, he doesn't want me here. I went after him. Settle matters quickly. Brings down all those walls, those huge walls of offense that keeps building up, building up. Have you ever heard the phrase, bury the hatchet? Let me give you a little history lesson. The figurative expression, bury the hatchet, originated as an American Indian tradition. Hatchets were buried by the chiefs of tribes when they came to a peace agreement. The phrase is recorded from the 17th century in English, but the practice it refers to is much earlier, possibly predating the European settlement of America. The translation of Thwartes monumental work, which was called the Jesuit Relations, written in 1644, suggests the same practice by stating... Proclaim that they wish to unite all the nations of the earth and to bury the hatchet so far into the depths of the earth that it shall never again be seen in the future. If we want to unite together as the body of Christ, we need to bury the hatchet so far in the earth that it can never be used again. One of our mottos in our marriage life group that we say over and over again is if it's forgiven, it's forgotten. It's off limits, never to be brought up again. Bury the hatchet so far into the earth that it can never be used again. Forgiven things are forgotten things and are off limits. Don't bring them up again. And the fourth point, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have not get out until you have paid the last penny. If you refuse to be reconciled to a brother, offenses will create prisons that you cannot get out of until you've paid it all. I want to read to you a scripture out of Matthew 18. That's the other scripture I ask you to turn to. Matthew 18. One of Jesus' disciples came to him. Peter said, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, <laughs> how many times... Shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? I mean, haven't we thought that one? Are you serious? I have to forgive you again for the same thing? How many?
many times he says, up to seven times? He wanted to put a limit on him. I'll give him seven. That was, I thought that was merciful. I'm thinking maybe twice. Three times, it's over. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. There's some translation, 70 times seven. If you think of 70 times seven is 490. Did I do the math right? It's to illustrate that by the time they hit four or five, you're going to lose count. Or maybe if you're really good with, you know, that picture, you know, that you can remember everything type of mind, photographic memory, that was it. That you might be able to remember up to 100, but you get up to the 200s and the three, and you're not going to remember, and you just have to keep forgiving them every time. That's what he's trying to say here. 70 times 7. So many times that you're not counting anymore. So that you can keep forgiving. Then he goes on, therefore, the kingdom, therefore, see? Woohoo! You're supposed to forgive more times than you can remember. Therefore, because that's the rule, that's the law. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, which I think 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he owned to be sold to pay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. There's that word again, patience. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, didn't say days later, months later, when he went out of the court, soon as he stepped out of the court, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a hundred silver coins. 10,000 bags of gold. And yet somebody owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. Can you just see that? He demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant back in. We will all stand before God. We will all stand before God and have to give an account. And he said, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Not just an action. 
motives matter from your heart. Don't just say the words. It has to be meant from the heart. Matthew Henry, his commentary on this verse, he says, we are unfitted for communion with God when in a quarrel with a brother. Yet this can be no excuse for the omission or neglect of our duty. He says, leave thy gift before the altar and go be reconciled to your brother, lest otherwise, when thou hast gone away, thou be tempted not to come again. Many give this as a reason why they do not come to church because they are at a grievance with some brother. And whose fault is that? One sin will never excuse another, but rather will double the guilt. The difficulty is easily, easily got over. Those who have wronged us, we must forgive. And those whom we have wronged, we must make satisfaction to. Galatians 5, 14 through 15 says, here's the entire law is filled up. Again, red letters in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself, is what Jesus said. If you bite and devour each other, it goes on in verse 15, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. I rest my case. We're guilty of murder in the first when we know what we are commanded to do. To love one another. Not just in words, but in actions. And the omission of our actions prove our intention is to bite and devour to kill one another. Matthew six fourteen and 15 says... For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. So as I close and call Amy back up front here, I, I was totally aware when God was helping me put this message together that this is one we're hearing over and over and over again. I think God's trying to tell us something. A few weeks ago, I preached a message called a United Front, and I shared the story of the two armies against each other. And yet, on the same uh, army, whatever you call it, uh, Two, two captains were fighting against each other. They didn't even want to be in the same room with each other. And so their commander grabbed a hold of both of them, took them together, put their hands in, in each other's hands, and pointed across the waters and says, Yonder is the enemy. But when we're constantly biting and devouring each other and getting offended here and getting offended there and, you know, this person did that or this person didn't do that, we're turning inward on each other. And the scripture says that we'll be destroyed by each other because of that. Yonder is the enemy. Not Amy, I'm not pointing at Amy. Yonder is the enemy. I didn't hear 
As a matter of fact, it's not even your brothers and sisters that are waiting to be invited, <laughs> that are waiting to be reconciled to God. It's not them. They're not the enemy either. We've got to, we've, we lose focus of who the real enemy is when we're, when we're turned on each other. We need to make it right now. And do, let me just tell you, don't get caught up in the details of, well, I did this because, or, you know, defending your actions or motive. Remember, no. If you're at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, forgive as God forgave you. When you come and ask forgiveness of God, do you have to plead your case why he needs to forgive you? No, you don't. You just lay your heart out there and say, I'm sorry. And the other forgives from the heart. Forgives from the heart. Forgive as God has forgiven you. So I want to share a scripture with you in Isaiah 1. I want to read this scripture to you. And then Amy's going to play a song and we're going to give time right now for you for like five minutes to reconcile with somebody. If you've got somebody in this room or maybe this person isn't in the room and you need to get on your face and ask God for a few minutes, how can I be reconciled to this person? How can I do that? The scripture in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 says, God's saying this to us. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening because your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's our choice to forgive. If, you're rem if you remember <laughs> that your brother has something against you, you need to go and make that right. So Father, right now we just lay ourselves before you and God, we ask that your Holy Spirit begin to flood our hearts right now. Bring to our remembrance if anyone has anything against us or, or maybe we know that we have something against someone else. That we go right now and be reconciled. That we forgive. That we love. And that we settle matters quickly, Lord. Because yonder is the enemy. The enemy is in our brothers and sisters. So I ask right now... If the person is in the room, Amy's going to play this song or, or sing this song, and I'm going to finish up, and I'll give you like just a few minutes. 
and then I want to continue on with the altar call. So why don't we do this? Why don't everybody just stand up right where you're at? And if the person isn't in the room and you need to just get alone with God, then just close your, keep your eyes closed and just begin speaking to God. If the person is in the room, go make things right, right now, quickly. Couple minutes, couple minutes, quickly. Lord, continue to speak to him. Continue, Lord, continue. Lord, search our hearts, search our hearts, search our hearts. Yes, Lord. Search our heart, search our heart. Mm -hmm. mm. Search our heart, search.